well. Good morning. Welcome to Element Church. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're so excited that you are here for week two of our new series called Man in the Mirror, A Journey Through Jonah. And I promise you, even uh, if this is your first week, uh, you missed last week, we'll catch you up, but you will not forget this series because if you're anything like my family, you were singing that song all week long. Even my kids are walking around the house uh, singing it uh, because it gets in your mind and you just can't get it out. So you're welcome for that this morning. Uh, but we're walking through the story and the book of Jonah from the Old Testament. Now, Jonah was a prophet of God. But unlike most other books uh, of the prophets in the Bible, we are not given the content of Jonah's words. Rather, we're given the content of Jonah's actions. And so rather than hearing God's words through a prophet, what, what the book is designed for us as readers and hearers is to see in Jonah the words of God. So God wants to communicate a message to you and I looking at the life of Jonah. And in the book of Jonah, Jonah is not the hero. Jonah is everything that is in the polar opposite of what he should be as a prophet and as a man of God. Jonah, as a book, is what we would consider satire, which makes Jonah a 7th to 8th century B.C. form of Saturday Night Live. The book is mocking Jonah and making fun of him and the ridiculousness of his life. But in mocking Jonah and the silly and ridiculous things that he does, the author of this book intends for you and I as readers and as listeners to see something in Jonah that mirrors ourself. You see, as we read the story, the picture of Jonah is actually not a picture. It's a mirror designed to see our own issues in him, designed to see our own prejudices in him, designed to see that own rebellion that sort of lives inside of us in Jonah so that we'll stop and we'll think and we'll reflect. Now, when we started this series last week, we just covered the first three verses of chapter one. If you weren't here last week, that's okay. You're not going to be behind. We'll catch you up on everything that we talked about and discussed, and we'll all be on the same page. As we start this morning, I actually want to read all of chapter one for us. So we'll read the, chap the three verses we read last, last week, and then we'll read several more. Now, all of these verses are not going to be on the screen at the same time. So the best thing for you to do, if you want to follow along visually, is to follow along in the Bible app. If you use this QR code, today's event in the app will open up for you. And all the scriptures that we're going to read and talk about today are laid out for you there. As well as links on how to respond to some of the announcements that Monica mentioned just a few moments ago. And so I'm going to read for us Jonah chapter 1. And then once we finish reading it, we're just going to look at a few pieces of chapter 1, and we're going to allow what we see in Jonah's life to serve as a mirror for our own lives. And so we begin in Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, 
and away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And the mariners or sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship onto the sea, into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. You guys use that word in a sentence tomorrow in school and your teachers will be really impressed. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And this is how chapter 1 closes. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You know, as we read this story, some of our initial thoughts may be that God seems rather angry at Jonah, that God is pretty severe in his reaction and in his punishment of Jonah. But what I think chapter one is trying to set up for you and I is not a picture of the anger of God, but a picture of the love of God. Now that will become exceedingly more clear over the next couple chapters as we work to finish through this book. Now you may be thinking, how, how is this an act of love? Like how could this sea that is threatening to, to tear apart a ship and kill everyone on board, how is, how is once Jonah's finally off the ship and the storm calms, sending a big fish to eat and kill him? How is that love? It's the same kind of love that parents often express with their kids. When your child is two or four or six, and you have to get on to them and punish them when they try to touch a hot stove, or when you catch them trying to run around the living room with a pair of scissors or a knife in their hand, to them, you seem overbearing and angry. But as a parent, you recognize that the most loving thing that you can do is to stop them from doing something that will destroy themselves. When your child is about to walk into a busy street, you don't whisper, you scream. God, in the loudest voice possible, is trying to get Jonah's attention. Listen, if God wanted to kill Jonah, that's easy. He could have done it 
in a moment, in any way he pleased. But God is trying to get Jonah's attention. As we talked about last week, while Jonah thought he was running, while it looks as though Jonah was running for his life, Jonah was really running from his life. Jonah was running from the call of God on his life because he wasn't interested in being a part of what God was trying to do in the world. And in the most loving way, God screams to get his attention. But Jonah couldn't care less. We've already mentioned that Jonah is a mirror. It's designed for us to see ourselves in him. It's not an indictment on the actions or character of Jonah. It's supposed to be an indictment on us, the readers. So what I want to do is I want to point out just a few details that we that we already read in chapter 1, and just let it sink in and soak in for a moment. Now, this will require some bravery on your part because it's not easy to open yourself up to criticism. It's not easy to open yourself up and to, to look at yourself genuinely, honestly, to see some of the things that are hiding inside. But I want us to take this journey because God has a word for you and I. And his words expressed through the story of Jonah. And we begin by looking at verses 3 through 5. This is beautiful and creative storytelling at its finest. Over and over, the author wants us to see Jonah going down. Now, this is a detail you and I might miss. But especially in this time frame and this culture... And what we see in other parts of the Old Testament is the idea of going down, the idea of going deep, carries with it this idea of death and destruction. And so what the author is trying to get us to see in Jonah is the steady steps towards his own death and destruction that he's taking. Jonah hears from God, and his response is to go down to Joppa. Once he goes down to Joppa, he boards a ship and he goes down onto it. Rather than heading east, which is the direction God told him to go, to go share this word into the people who live in the city of Nineveh, instead he gets on a ship headed west. Once Jonah's on board the ship, we're told that he goes down inside the ship where ultimately he will lay down to go to sleep. It's as if the author here is telling us that with every step Jonah takes, he's taking one more small step towards his own death and destruction. I want you to notice something in this story. Who is most affected by Jonah's decision? What Jonah doesn't realize or doesn't care to acknowledge is that his rebellion is harming other people. That his sin is putting other people in danger. And if there were a lesson for you and I to take this morning from Jonah's life, something for us to reflect on, This story is a counter to everything that we're told in Western culture and in American culture with phrases like, you do you. You got to go live your truth. 
You just got to be true to you. Because with it carries this idea is that you can do whatever you want to do. As long as you're okay with dealing with the consequences. You just do what you want. Because in our culture, we love to ignore the fact that our actions affect other people. That even our rebellion and our sin doesn't just bear consequences on our life, it bears consequences on others' lives. Jonah's rebellion wasn't just about him putting his own life at risk, he put everyone else's life on that boat at risk as well. And then, and then we see this, here at the end of verse 5, and Jonah lay down and was fast asleep. Now, I don't know what to make of that phrase. Because here's, here's the context of the story. These professional mariners or, or sailors who spend their entire lives doing this are so afraid of this storm that they're willing to risk throwing all the cargo that they're getting paid to transport. They're willing to risk all of it and throw it off board if it means saving their lives because their ship is going to be torn in two. Listen, if a professional sailor's a little worried about the waves, you probably should too. I cannot fathom how Jonah was actually sleeping while the ship was about to t- be torn in two. Now, the, the, the author here could mean for us to literally understand him as asleep, but I think what really is driving the point for you and I today is that Jonah was really asleep at the wheel. Jonah could not only care less about what God was wanting to do in his life and through his life, Jonah could care less about how it affected other people. He was asleep at the wheel. All Jonah wanted to do was what Jonah wanted to do. And to him in this moment, it didn't matter who it hurt, who it scared, or who it affected. It's these absurdities in Jonah's life that we're supposed to not judge him, but to think about ourselves. Are there places in our life where we know better? but we don't really care because we're just going to do what we want to do. And it's like we're asleep at the wheel because we don't even care who else it hurts or who else it affects. And God wants Jonah's life to be his message to us to stop and to think and to look around at how our lives affect others. There's another thing that I want to point out and I want to look at, and this is from a handful of uh, verses in chapter 1. Hey, Dave, would you go to the... There we go. I want you to notice what takes place throughout this story. I told you this was satire, right? And a part of satire or satirical literature is irony. So this, this whole story is full of irony. And what we see is these pagan sailors begin crying out each to their own God. These guys start taking the shotgun approach. Some of you can relate. You've done this in life. Like, I'm just going to throw some prayers out there and we'll just see what sticks. Like, maybe someone out there is listening and maybe this will work. And so they're just trying to pray to anyone and everyone they can think of because in their worldview, someone's angry. Some God has been offended. So let's just pray to them all 
and see which one it is, and maybe we can take care of the problem. Eventually, the captain goes to talk to Jonah and says, hey, listen, will you pray? Can you pray to your God? We're hitting all of our gods, but we want to cover our bases here. Can you pray to your God? Arise, call out to your God. And here's the irony in this part of the story. Does Jonah ever pray? Not once. Not at this point in the story. Knowing all that's taking place, Jonah can't be bothered enough to pray for a second. The irony. This man of God, the prophet of God, the one who's supposed to be in direct, close, intimate connection with the creator of the universe, and he's the only guy in the story who can't pray. These pagan sailors, however, are crying out desperately. And then we see at the end, while Jonah doesn't pray, eventually we see the sailors turn their attention to the God of Jonah, to the God of the Old Testament. Therefore, in verse 14, they call out to the Lord. Now that's in all caps, and that is not an accident. When you're reading the Old Testament part of your Bible, when you see Lord in all caps, that's supposed to be a message to you that God's name Yahweh is being used. When Moses first met God at the burning bush and he said, what do, what do I call you? What is your name? God said, I am who I am, meaning you can't define me. And so what Jewish people did is they took, they took the verb to be or I am and they turned it into a noun. And when you take that verb and turn it into a noun, it's pronounced Yahweh. That's how they referred to God. He, he just is. He can't be put in a box. And these sailors don't just cry out to any God. They cry out to Yahweh. And the twist of irony in the story. They come to acknowledge God as the God. That these pagan sailors turn their heart and their attention to the one true God, Yahweh. The one God that Jonah is supposed to represent. The one God that Jonah says that he worships. And we see that in the next verses. In verse 9, when they asked Jonah, who are you? Why in the world is this happening to him? This is what he tells them. And he said to him, I am a Hebrew and I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This is the epitome of religious hypocrisy. After running from the presence of the Lord, after running from his call on Jonah's life, when, Jonah, when God says, Jonah, I need you to go to this evil city and I want you to preach my message, which turns out to be a message of love and grace and forgiveness that we'll find out in chapter 3. I want you to go preach this message of love and grace and forgiveness to this evil nation. And Jonah turns and he runs. Jonah is, couldn't care any less to the point where not only will he not pay attention to the, the screams that are coming from heaven in the form of the storm, he doesn't even care how much it puts other people at danger. Yet when asked who he is, he says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. 
It's the epitome of religious hypocrisy. Like I said earlier, Jonah is not a hero in this story. Because Jonah has no fear of God. And when we mean fear, we don't mean scared. Because this is how the Bible really defines fear. Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh, is the beginning of knowledge. You know, there are several kinds of fear. We see two different kinds in this story. The first is being just terrified, scared, afraid to the point that you can't move. But there's another kind of fear. It's the fear that's not scared but carries respect and awe and admiration. There's the fear of being terrified and scared, and there's a fear of awe and respect and admiration. It's like this. It's the difference between standing on the top of a cliff looking down and standing at the bottom of a cliff looking up. Uh, You may be familiar with uh, probably one of the most famous cliffs in the United States, El Capitan, which is in Yosemite National Park. It's a 3,000-foot sheer granite wall that some crazy people attempt to climb. 3,000 feet. Listen, I don't have an irrational fear of heights. I feel like I have a very rational fear of heights. Like growing up, like trees and tree houses were not scary. Uh, Ladders are not scary to me. Being on a roof is not scary to me. Um, Some moderate levels of climbing, you know, like the 14ers that at least the ones I've climbed here in Colorado, are not scary. That's absurd. Right? Like, I feel like that's a rational fear. And some people can stand on the edge. That's one kind of fear. But the other kind of fear can be standing at the bottom looking up. With awe and respect and admiration. The sailors initially had that first kind of fear. Their first thoughts of God, of Yahweh, were were that first kind of fear of standing on the edge looking down and recognizing the potential of destruction. But what they came to a place of a new kind of fear, one of awe and respect and admiration. Jonah claimed to have it, but everything about his life screamed the opposite. But not for these sailors. After throwing Jonah overboard, and they tried not to, they tried to row back to the shore and find another solution. They even prayed to Yahweh and God and said, please do not hold us responsible for this man's death. And Jonah said, just just throw me overboard. But they didn't want his blood on their hands. And after throwing Jonah overboard, the seas calmed down and the fish swallows Jonah, we're told this, then the men, the sailors, feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now there's an implicit idea carried in this statement. If these sailors had already thrown everything overboard, I want you to think about what it means for them to make a sacrifice. I mean, Almost 3,000 years ago, 
For them to make a sacrifice meant that they built a large altar and the animals had to be slaughtered for the process. Were they doing that on the boat? Were they building a great fire on their wooden boat? No, carried in this idea, implied in this statement, is that these sailors make their way to shore to worship and honor Yahweh properly, the best they knew how back then. Jonah feared God in words only. But the sailors came to genuinely fear with awe and respect and admiration the creator of this universe and of the earth and of the sea. And this is another mirror moment for you. You may claim to believe in God. You may sit here this morning and say, I believe in Jesus. I follow Jesus. I'm a Christian. I trust him. I fear him. But do you trust and fear and follow him in word or in deed? If someone were looking at your life, if someone were to write a story about your life, like they wrote a story about Jonah's, what conclusion would they come to? That you followed God or that you ran from him? That you feared him in word or that you feared him in deed? It's easy to judge Jonah. It's real easy to look at someone else and make judgments on what they do versus what they say. But this is a moment for you to look in the mirror. Don't worry about Jonah. What about you? What about you? And then we close chapter 1 with this statement. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This instrument of death will be used to bring about new life. Sound familiar? What from the outside looked like it was the end, like it was his destruction. That this was just another instrument of death. Turns out that it was the pathway to a brand new life for Jonah. This is the gospel. This is why we revere and sing and celebrate the cross. Because that instrument of death became a pathway to new life. One day Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 was standing before a bunch of religious elite. Some of them not too dissimilar from Jonah. And they said, hey, Jesus, we want to see a special sign from you. Can you do some magic for us? You know, can you do one of those cool tricks? Hey, maybe, maybe you can multiply food again and give us breakfast. And in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus looked at him and said, you evil and adulterous generation who just is looking for a sign. All you want is for me to entertain you. You won't be given any sign but the sign of Jonah. That's what he says. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. The sign that will reveal who I really am is that instrument of death won't be the end of the story. It's a pathway to new life. And and then he says this in chapter 12, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so I will be in the belly of the grave for three days. The story is an old, old story. 
Jonah's story has been told for roughly 3,000 years. But it's not outdated and irrelevant. Because the things Jonah struggled with are many of the same things that you and I struggle with. So let this moment be a moment of reflection for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that we even have this moment to stop and to think and to reflect. Life is so busy, sometimes it's just hard to to slow down enough to think seriously and deeply about certain ideas and topics. And, And so, Lord, I thank you for the gift of this moment. Lord, would you make this that that mirror moment for us, that when we read about Jonah, we really see ourselves. We see the the ridiculousness of our own actions sometimes. We see where our words and our lives don't meet up. We see those places where our actions affect others, but we just are going to do what we want to do. And I pray that this would be a wake-up call for each of us in this moment. I want you to keep your eyes closed. And we're going to move into a time of worship and response. And it's an opportunity for you just to respond to who God is and His presence in this place and in this moment. None of us are perfect. We don't stand before God because we deserve it. We stand before God because He's loving and gracious. Because even when we try to run to our own destruction in the loudest possible voice and sometimes in a whisper, God just gets our attention to bring us back. Maybe this is that moment for you to be brought back. And for you, maybe this is that moment where you recognize that Jesus' death on the cross was not the end of him or his story. It was just the beginning. And it was a bridge to new life, not only for Jesus as he rose from the grave, but new life for you. As the Bible says, for those who are in Christ, they are new creations. The old is gone, and behold, the new has come. Through his death and through his resurrection, Jesus will make you new. Maybe this is that moment that you turn, instead of running from God, you turn to him where with both your actions and your words, you give him all. But we give you this moment to think, to reflect, to pray, and to respond to who God is and the ways in which he's speaking to you now. Lord, I just ask that everything we do in this moment would be honoring to you, to the words that you are speaking to us. Would you challenge and comfort us both in this moment? 